0: okay welcome to another episode of the regenerative health podcast i'm your host dr max schulhain and this episode i had a in person live chat with two very interesting gentlemen farmer jake Wolke, who regular listeners would know well by now uh, who is based in albury new south wales and uh, texas slim who is uh, an american from texas who has Started an organisation to promote the uptake of regenerative uh, meat um, and regenerative farming by connecting people to to farmers directly uh, and promoting the use of Bitcoin uh, between the two of them. So we had a a wide ranging discussion um, about what exactly has gone wrong um, to, I guess, lead us up into this point of, uh, a processed food environment, um, and a situation where, uh, animal agriculture is so industrialized and so reliant on, um, commodity inputs. Uh, we finished the podcast with a great closing on, um, what people can do to, I guess, take control of their health and really, uh, obtain a stable and high-quality source of uh, animal products. So um, the next day we had a, 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 the Beef Initiative event at the Walkie Farm, which was a great day, um, and I recorded a talk on animal fats and seed oils, which will hopefully be coming out um, in the next uh, couple of weeks. So thanks for listening, and please subscribe And and like and leave reviews on the various podcast platforms if you're enjoying the content. So on to the podcast now. All right, Uh, welcome to another episode of the Regenerative Health Podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with two esteemed gentlemen, uh, Texas Slim from the American Beef Initiative, uh, and Mr. Jake Wolke, Regenerative Farmer uh, here in uh, Albury, New South Wales. Uh, gents, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having us. I
1: was uh, sitting here last night at the same table. Uh, I was honored to be invited to spend some time with Jacob. We had never met anybody in, pers- in-, in person yet. And um, it's always cool to uh, travel across the world and meet friends that you've never met, but you've known for a thousand years. So, you know, this is where we are.
0: Great. Well, um, my listeners are predominantly health interested people. And we've talked a little bit about the intersection of regenerative farming and, and health. And the reason why I was excited to get you on, Slim, is because you're starting a grassroots movement, which is really blending regenerative farming and giving... access to the products of regenerative farming which is high quality animal food straight to people um and from my perspective i see that as as instrumental in helping people take control of their health um and and obviously improve their, their their metabolic health so can you give us a bit of an idea about um the beef initiative what is the beef initiative sure Um,
1: the, whenever I first started, you know, as far as this, I call it a mission now because it's become something that we, we are looking at on a global front and it's, it's not isolated. I started in Texas and I first started out with something called food intelligence and what had happened to me, I'd had a kind of trauma, I had an injury and I'd had a portal vein that had collapsed and I didn't pay attention to it. I was kind of rough and tumble growing up. So you just ignore the pain and don't complain. Well, that caught up to me and damn near, you know, died really, to tell you the truth. I, I, I got very sick, didn't know what was going on. Finally tried to contact the Western medical you know, apparatus that we have in the United States. And, you know, they didn't, they couldn't figure it out. And whenever, basically, I, I was able to get in touch with the old school doctor and he was a true doctor. He wasn't like a medical technician is what I like to call a lot of people in the medical field in the United States now. But he, anyways, he was able to diagnose what had happened. And whenever that, ha- that, 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 that transpired, I decided I'm going to look at food again because I was in ICU and the type of uh, consumption model that they were trying to give me from audio to video to food itself was all way off base. It didn't make any sense to me. And where I come from in Texas, I can't, I'm fifth generational Texan. We came from agriculture and ranching. So I knew that I grew up with a lot of power and strength and nutrition. And I knew where it came from. It came from the soil. My grandfather used to kind of say, he goes, you need to learn how to eat the earth. He would take me out as a little child and put his hands in that soil. And he would tell me the richness of it. And so all these years, I knew that we were getting away from that. And so I started doing a deep dive into food intelligence and what I found out was pretty alarming. And I knew that our metabolical health in the United States has been destroyed. 88% of Americans are now metabolically bankrupt. And so that's, you know, from diabetes to fatty liver disease in our children to heart disease. I mean, you, you know, more than anybody, basically the health of the world really and here in Australia. So, I decided to do what my grandfather taught me. You know, we grew up with a freezer full of beef. And, you know, that's where I said, that's, a, that's ground zero. We need to give the voice uh, back to the American rancher and producer. And, and to do that is daunting because in the last 50 years, the ranchers and producers in the United States, they've never even had a digital voice. They've been, uh, there's a prohibition against basically what they do because of the multinational, uh, uh international uh food industry in which we all consume from and so i said well i'm going to start something called the beef initiative we're going to make it we're going to get back to the source of the seed of where we came from with legacy heritage education and of nutrition itself we're going to get back to the land we're going to get back to the soil itself and that mm-hmm. will be basically a new health initiative that i want to spread across you, uh, across texas at the time but now it's across the world
0: Yeah. And I think that people don't realize how important the quality of the agricultural land and the quality of the process of food raising is to the actual end product of what what they're consuming. And I think the disconnect between our food and our our health and agriculture has become so great that people themselves don't even realize that there is a lot of Um, interference going on from the point at which that food is grown to the point at which it's processed to the point at which it's being consumed. And that last distance, I think, is responsible for what you're talking about, which is metabolic ill health. And and mm-hmm. and as Slim mentioned, I think that there was a study that showed at least uh, in eighty eight percent of Americans have at least one marker of, of metabolic syndrome or met metabolic ill health. Um, and for the listeners who or who my listeners know that that it's the metabolic syndrome, not high cholesterol by itself, but the metabolic syndrome, which is. Putting people at risk of heart disease, stroke, cancer, type two diabetes, Alzheimer's disease. So um, I I really love how you you started a movement that's basically attempting or or connecting people and giving raising awareness with that or the whole process, the whole the whole full stack.
1: It is because whenever I was healing, you know, I was going back into my my basically my pathway back into health. Whenever you look at this as a is a global food apparatus, as I call it, the industrial food complex, uh, you you notice that basically we have commoditized and subsidized our basically consumption model when it comes to food in a way that the general public and several generations now have no clue about. The lack of food intelligence of even knowing where food comes from is very prevalent and it's it's almost like an epidemic within itself. Because uh, the touch points and the amount of uh, that after 1971, when we went off the gold standard, we injected so many new fake commodities into our food and those fake commodities are basically what's leading this metabolical bankruptcy. But the general public doesn't know that, you know, that they're trusting people. We read labels that say heart healthy. We read all these things that tell us that, hey, this is saving the planet. This is how you get back to your health, you know, and it's basically become propaganda. And it's based on a lot of lies. And it's based on, you know, the industrial food complex is in it to win it. Well, by saying that they need to make profit. And if you're trying to make profit off of a dollar, a United States dollar that has been debased so bad, if you look from 1971 till now and how the dollar has been debased, you look at the health of our nation in the United States, it's the same chart. It it followed it. And so what's what's the correlation? Well, it's the fake commodities. It's the industrialization of our food. And so if you if you look at that and you can say, well, yeah, that's daunting. How do I get out of this? Well, let's start from ground zero. How did we get here? What did our grandparents teach us? What is the source of the seed of our nutrition in how we evolved as a people?
0: Yeah. So. And um, in my earlier conversations with Jake, I mean, you've said, Jake said something so similar and it's when you go to the supermarket and you're buying a roast chicken for $8, the animal is picking up the tab, is yeah. subsidizing that amount of of. of the, the fact that you can get it so cheaply in the form of economies of scale with industrial m- manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your the, these commodities that you've just you've just talked about? Because mm-hmm. I guess when I explain to a patient about metabolic syndrome and what's causing it, there's basically three groups of foods that I tell them they need to stop eating, sure. or that that they that I advise them are the cause or contributing to their metabolic condition, mm-hmm. and that's refined sugar. Refined carbohydrates or grains and and seed oils. Yeah. So, um, give, a, good. give give <laughs> give us a little bit of an idea about how you think about these these foods and and from an industrial and, and agricultural point of view.
1: Well, I think every one of those, uh, you know, in in the Bitcoin space, I won't go down there, but they're all shitcoin foods. They're all a deception. And you say seed oils. Well, one example is rapeseed. It's canola oil. That's something they really got uh, moving hard in the 70s and 80s was canola oil, you know, because they said that animal fat made you have heart attacks, cholesterol, blah, blah, blah. So they said, hey, vegetable oil. They call it vegetable oil. It's not a vegetable. It's a weed. In 1956, you know, the FDA outlawed uh, canola oil, which is rapeseed, uh, for human consumption. Now it's one of the most consumed fake commodities that we basically spread across the world. So that's one of them, seed oils. You can, you know, from seed oils, and then you, you talk about sugars. Well, we have high fructose corn syrup. That was a big introduction of getting rid of, you know, good sugar, or if you can call it good sugar, but, you know, sugar from where we came from. And, you know, if you look at in the United States, I think now they have 92 different types of sugars. And the FDA doesn't really even have to tell you that they're a sugar. And so, you know, those two right there, you don't need to know much more than that. And what was your third one?
0: Uh, the re- refined wheat or refined carbohydrates.
1: Well, you know, GMO grains. Let's let's look at that. And, you know, if we have Monsanto. It's bare now. If you do not sign a technology use agreement to use the new genetically modified seed, now it's not even genetically modified, it's bioengineered. As a producer in the United States, if you do not follow the protocol of a chemical grain company, then you are not going to be in business. And so from the source of the seed of a purity of a grain that we used, my grandfather used to where we are now, you can't even compare. There is no comparison. And so, you know, the highly processed carbohydrates, the sugars, the seed oils, if you can eliminate those out of your life, you can go far, you know, with your intelligence of food and your health. A lot of people don't know how to get there. And so what I say, it's so simple, it's complicated. Learn how to eat the earth again. How do you do that? Well, you use the land tools. What are the land tools? Well, this man knows more about land tools than anybody sitting at this table, right? So you have your, you know, you have the cow, you know, that's beef. You know, I'm from Texas. If you basically look and what the cow does with the vitamins and minerals that are stored in the soil and how he, the cow basically regrows the soil, the cow has been honored in the whole history of mankind. You look at all these ancient civilizations, there's always honoring the cow. Well, why was that? Well, it's because they're a land tool that gave us life. And so if you can eliminate all of the daunting and, you know, I I tell everybody, you know, across the world that us Americans get caught in this analysis paralysis when it comes to food, when it comes to nutrition. And that's why I came up with the phrase. It's so simple. It's complicated. Get back to the source of the seed of where your nutrition and your fuel comes from. Where is your energy really coming from? It's coming from the soil. The cow is
0: your land tool. Um, and the points are made, I mean the introduction of these foods like particularly seed oils, which I'll be talking about later today at the conference, mm-hmm. um, has been was introduced from a financial point of view. There was no sure. medical or there was never any really robust scientific evidence that justified replacing uh, animal fat with polyunsaturated vegetable oils. Um, but it just seems like it's that policy was enacted. Um, in the in the 1950s, in the aftermath of of President Eisenhower's heart attack, and and a, and a man called Ansel Keys ran with that idea, um, and it seems like it's just snowballed. Yeah. And the consequences of that one act of of uh, demonising animal fat and stipulating uh, the introduction of seed oils has just had all these reverberating consequences in terms of the low fat diet, um, people starving for high quality energy, and then finding carbs and finding. Mm-hmm. Um, other sugary foods to kind of fill that nutritional gap that 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 their body is is needing. And look, we could talk a whole episode about sure. about why specifically the diet high heart hypothesis is invalid or or basically be not standing up to scientific scrutiny and the mechanism of of linoleic acid in terms of contributing to heart disease. But that's a different conversation. Suffice to say, we are basically approaching health from a very similar angle, which is education and getting back to the core tenets or the fundamentals of where high-quality food comes from. Yes. So, um, Jake, I, I want you to just to talk now a little bit about your, um, I guess, interaction with, with Slim and the Beef Initiative and how has the, the movement, I guess, helped you or framed your kind of role in um, in, in the community and, and raising food?
2: Sure. Well, when I... First met the guys in Australia that have set up the Aussie Beef Initiative and started collaborating with Slim. They in the group chat that like we want to do an event in Australia. Uh, is anybody interested in doing it? And I I firmly believe that the farm and and farms. It's not the Jake Walkey show. This is every mum and dad farm out there should be the village centre. Like it should be where people are gathering, congregating, are viscerally participating in in meaningful. Um, chores. Like I, I you've you watched documentaries on TV and how the communities like the Amish get together and do barn raisings. And most people living in modern Western societies have never experienced anything as, I, I believe, have never experienced anything as cooperative, as um, just beautiful as when that community pulls together. So any opportunity that I can put our hand up and say, we'll facilitate that event, uh, we'll do it. So, you know, food, Intelligence and food sovereignty are obviously uh, big values in my life. And then we have a, we have quite a few different speakers at the event this weekend. We've got doctors like yourself talking about those aspects. We've got farmers like myself talking about regenerative agriculture. And then we've got uh, cryptocurrency people coming to talk about Bitcoin. And I've had a lot of people say to me, how does that all make sense? What, how do those things lock together? Well, it's, it's all about uh, sovereignty. and and they're all about acknowledging gaps in current supply chains and in current political systems and financial systems, like nothing's perfect, and let's have proper conversations about the way that we can uh, do things better in in general. So we're open-minded. We're we're hoping to uh, challenge some paradigms. We're not hoping to convert anyone to anything, just hoping to challenge um, paradigms, and I think the farm's a great place for that.
0: And it's fascinating in the analogy. I mean, we're, I guess, covering three different areas, but in each of our industries, there's been an influence and maybe a a corporate influence that has possibly been reflected in government policy Mm -hmm. um, through measures like regulatory capture that have taken us away from what is maybe the, the the optimal approach to our respective fields. Um, in, in, in medicine's case, there's an overemphasis on pharmaceutical drugs um, and treating the consequences of chronic disease. Um, in the case of um, animal agriculture, Jake, I mean, they're, they're, in, they're focused on inputs on fertilizers and, and herbicides for cropping or, or, or um, intensive animal feedlotting in ter- instead of regenerative um, grazing. And Slim, as you, you talked about earlier, there's – been been problems with the money, and, right. and maybe even that's underlying. Is that what you're saying? That's possibly even underlying the whole process.
1: I i without without a doubt the basically whenever you look at the the monetary system. My grandfather we we established in the Texas Panhandle uh, in the late 1800s. Like I said, I was fifth generation Texan. You look what he went through. He went through. Uh, he went through the Dust Bowl. He went through two World Wars. He went through gold confiscation, and he did that, and he survived, and he thrived because he didn't understand debt. He doesn't. He didn't. He didn't know what debt was. You know, it was a handshake. It was the honesty. It was the purity of a, a man's word. Right. Well, what happened after the 1970s, he was destroyed because of the debt economy that had basically been stewarded through the the basically the debasement going off the gold standard. So if you look at money as a system and if, if you debase the value of money, you're going to debase everything it touches. You can try to play a facade to say that we're technically advanced, which we are. There's a lot of value from what we've done. But if you look at it, when it's something, when it comes to food, when it comes to true nutrition, our nutrition basically has been in decline ever since that money was declined. And, you know, a lot of uh, people paid the price in the seventies and the eighties in the United States with their land, with nutrition itself. My whole family uh, has on one side of the family we had seven aunts and uncles, 20 something cousins, of my cousins are now metabolically in in, in trouble. They all came from the same soil I did. I'm the only one that is living this way. We have MS, we have diabetes, we have heart disease. And the, the correlation is real. And I always tell everybody acceptance is the key. If you can just accept that there's something going on, you'll find the source of the seed of the issue. The source of the seed of the issue is our money is debased. We live in a debt economy, a debt mindset, Whenever I say debt with food, well, you're paying the price. Your metabolic health is paying the price of that basically devaluation of the food. The food is so subsidized. We learn how to cheapen food so much, but we also learn how to make it taste very good. And so by building in that convenience, food is not convenience. Food is survival. And if you can change your perspective, but that's what's been lost within the marketing, the messaging, within the dollar itself. And so, you know, Bitcoin comes into play. It's a peer to peer transactional system that has a store of value. It's a new form of technology. It's a tool. It's a new tool set that the ranchers can use. Because I always ask in the United States, hey, rancher, producer, where's the value of the cow? What do you mean? Well, the value of the cow used to be in the cow or it used to be in the land itself well the now the the value of the cow and the land is in the usda insurance policy and so why did that happen well it's because we've subsidized ourselves out of value so bitcoin's you know a tool that helps us bring back that mindset it's also decentralized decentralize your money decentralize your food decentralize your nutrition do it with sound relationships that you build by meeting producers and ranchers shake their hand if you can't do it physically do it digitally through the beef initiative through the united states beef initiative the australian beef initiative that's our agenda here is to basically make those connections to where we can actually go out there shake a hand have a store of value back into our health nutrition and
0: let people like jacob lead that fantastic and so to give us a bit of an idea about where the beef initiative is going from a vision point of view and what what do you hope to achieve um with the beef initiative
1: when i first started out it
0: really was <clears throat> it's about building community let's say this we, we need to
1: build community like jacob was saying jacob got into this he wanted to feed his family that's a community his he he is community number one his wife and his children are community then the beyond that community is his customers it's everybody right here in albury australia and so to build community um you have to start at ground zero. You, what happened with our communities in Texas, I grew up in a small town, Texas, that was pretty much destroyed by the, the monocropping of agriculture in the United States. What we did is those small communities were the most powerful places from health and from money, from land to nutrition, and it was based around a community that had a processing center. We call them abattoirs here. And what we want to do moving forward in the state of Texas, we have 254 counties. We had 254 processing centers, too. And so the vision of the beef initiative and it started in Texas, but now it's, of course, across the United States what we're going to do is we're going to start the roadmap the vision the storyboard for the beef initiative this is a global health initiative being led by the international producers themselves but what we do is we build out locally we broadcast globally we turn it on its head from what has happened to me in my life the last 50 years and so if we can start building community based centered around the producers and the processors centers themselves. As I said, we had 254 processing centers in the state of Texas. We have now four multinational processing packing uh, corporations in the United States. None of them are housed in the United States but they control 80% of our food production processing in the United States. That is a bottleneck to the producers being able to basically be a sound producer for their community, because once they let that uh, abattoir processing center have that animal, they lose control of it. Yeah. And so the beef initiative is giving control back to the producer where they can monetize that cow because they've stewarded that cow, they steward the land and they want, they're trying to steward their community. So everybody says, how does this scale? This is not about scaling. This is about replicating successes. I'm here with Jacob. We're having the summit here at, at Wilkie Farms. We want people to replicate what Jacob is doing here in Australia because we've done it in Texas. We've done it in California. We've done it in Colorado. We've done it in Georgia. We've done it in Tennessee. We've done it all over the United States now. And there are these little nodes And so if we can get everybody paying attention to understand that this is an international health initiative being led by the international producers themselves because they're rebuilding their communities. And if we can scale that part of the replication, we're scaling replication. We went linear with our food, with monocropping, and we said we're going to go feed the world. We never fed the world. What we did is we created distribution lines of a multinational food industrial complex that is now basically killing us and it's killing our children. I mean, and, and I want everybody to know that if we can do this in one place, we can do it a million different locations, nodes across the, across the world. Yeah.
0: And Jake, I want you to get your idea and thanks to that, Slim, mm-hmm. about how or what Slim's talked about in terms of Australian context. Um, how do you see this, the goal of decentralizing or um, opening up an abattoir in every kind of community—is that realistic? Is that a goal that that you share, um, or a vision that you see with regenerative farming in Australia?
2: Well, I wish I didn't have to run an abattoir uh, to have the dream to open my own. You know, I've got a—I'm busy. I've got enough going on. I'd—I'd I'd like to focus my efforts on farming and breeding sound cows and vigorous cows. But the reality is, is that our business um, is built on a supply chain and and consistently meeting the market and we have one abattoir that can service us within a five-hour one-way drive and if that abattoir they don't owe me anything they're their own company if they say to me um, thanks for the last three years Jake but uh, moving forward we're not doing any uh, private kills for small-scale producers because uh, it's a waste of our time which it probably is or it doesn't pay enough, or you're a pain to deal with, or we want to shut you down. Like whatever, um, I'm not attacking their integrity specifically, but the reality is is that they hold all the cards. Um, so my farm, which I spent the last four years building and invested over half a million dollars, could just get switched off, like a flick on the a flick of the switch on the wall, and there's nothing that I could do about it. Uh, so the, and and the reality is is that situation. Uh, people realise that they identify that on their business plans pretty early on and don't even bother trying. You know, the, the access to the market is um, is challenging in that regards. I know plenty of people that don't bother trying to sell direct because of access issues to slaughterhouses. So like, I don't want to be an abattoir owner um, per se, but I need to be. You know, I, I personally think vertical integration, like everybody thinks it's this sexy thing where you grow the meat, you kill the meat, you pack the meat. Um, and then in my case, you know, we, we actually cook the meat because we've got restaurants and this vertical integration thing is so attractive. It's, it's actually a little bit of a pain in the butt and it's not as resilient as people think because if, if, if you own that whole, I, I would rather have um, community engagement and, and have colleagues of integrity rather than do the whole supply chain myself. Uh, you know, and I, I, I saw that through COVID. We're, we're building this, we've got the farm, we've got the butchery, we've got the restaurant. And then the abattoir switch got flicked because of lockdowns. They couldn't process my meat anymore. And the farm, the butchery, and the restaurant all suffered. You know, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to take on. So the vertical integration isn't always um, great, but the, the reality is, is that the movement needs trailblazers, uh, people to take risk, people to invest. And, you know, I'm not going to sit around and wait for someone else to do it. So we need it. And the biggest burden for people listening, why aren't other people doing this? It's regulatory capture. It's just so hard to get. Try to sit down and read the guidelines. It's impossible to wrap your head around it when you're not in the in the industry already, and and then it becomes consultant rich. You know, you pay the suits to come in and and run it. So you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, but it's it's a it's a work works in progress.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: To that point, and and it's so valid because it is everybody likes to talk about vertical integration. Well, it it is. It's it's almost a fairy tale because of the regulatory. cap. You need community. You need relationships. You need people basically relying on each other. And that's based on obligation, accountability and everything without the regulatory capture. Like in Texas, we we have the proof of work that I like to talk about with uh, with K&C cattle and hometown meats in Luling, Texas. Uh, that's Cole Bolton. Well, it's a clean processing center, about 250 uh, beeves a, a week and it it it's basically a regional processing center. He's he's allowing producers to come in, change their protocols. Now they have access to a clean processing center. They don't have to talk to JBS, Cargill, Tyson or any of these other regional processing centers. And so he's allowing that community to build and they're basically all establishing relationships. Plus, it's creating a new protocol of clean beef without all of the uh, subsidizations, basically all the chemicals, you know, antibiotics, steroids, all, everything that we do. And we talk about within cattle. Uh, Going back to that, then we have Justin Trammell uh, in the Panhandle of Texas. He has a very small microprocessing center. He decided to go ahead and do it for himself. Well, he is also building community. Other producers are coming through his processing center. He didn't want to do it, but as Jake had said, he had to be a trailblazer. Then we have uh, Jason Rick of Rick Ranches in Colorado. He has no indication. He's not going to go out there and open up a processing center. He's a smaller producer. He stewards 4,000 acres of land. He only owns less than 400 acres of land. He has 200 head of cattle. He has a very good relationship with this local abattoir and he's very okay with that. And so every region of the world or the United States or here in Australia is always going to have a different type of scenario, but you have to do it building with the mindset of building community. And now those relationships, whenever you have a multinational, um, processing, packing corporation that does not have your interest, that is not a relationship They can turn the light switch off just like that and shut you down. That's what we have to work and circumvent around. Of Not everybody's going to open up their own processing center, but there's going to be people out there that that's all they do is open up a processing center and they're going to have very good relationships with people like Jacob. So there, it's very you, you, you tend to generalize this. We can't generalize this. We have to look at each community in a different way. See what is special about that community. Where are the pain points? Identify and then move forward with the education, not the consulting, because the consulting is what gets us, you know, in, in trouble.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, someone who doesn't know anything about agriculture or is, is curious. Might think, how did we get to a point where this supply chain is so controlled? And how did we get to a point where there's so many regulations that seem to be obstructing common sense? Mm-hmm. Um, th- things like processing your, your animals locally. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe Jake first and talk about the Australian context and then Slim talk about the American context. Where's this regulation come from? How did it come in place? And, and how do you think it's stopping us from actually making progress?
2: it's such a rabbit hole mm-hmm. uh ha- how we got there but there's a few things that society's embraced that i think have, have really uh pushed the needle on that one is we think in too short timelines now so people want that they they see the cheaper beef on the shelf and think well that is better for me cuz i save 3 dollars today and there's no uh research into like why it might be cheaper uh, and and that you know, those efficiency gains, there's tabs picked up somewhere, you know. So efficiency is not always bad, Or you know, automation in factories and and like a lot of them are really great things, but always angling for efficiency. And the other thing is this liability mindset, you know, everything. uh, My wife's pregnant with our third child at the moment and I've been on Twitter talking about it a little bit and then I post some media about my sons, my very healthy five and two-year-old sons, and the amount of the, the lack of food intelligence that is wrapped up with this uh, liability poverty mindset. I'll give you an example: a pregnant women shouldn't eat honey, raw honey. Like that's that's you visit the doctor and they say well, you're not eating any honey, are you? Or make sure you're not having um, eggs with runny yolks. It's like you know these are foods that have that we've been eating forever, and they're and they're highly prized foods. Like why an, an egg, a runny egg yolk, isn't Bad for a pregnant woman. A bad egg yolk is bad for a pregnant woman. So why do we have so many bad egg yolks that we need to pasteurise them before we eat them? They're coming out of sheds, and so you, you, we've got this poverty. We've got this. Um, we're just so liability centric. We want to fix it with a pill. Uh, we, we want a quick fix. We don't want to let anyone suffer. We don't. Want, everything needs to be sterile. You know, we're not interested in in, in healthy sanitary systems. We want sterile liability absolved systems, and so I, I think that they're just. Uh, underpinning currents, you know, blind, that those, I don't know if I'm, if I'm saying it right, but just those motives that aren't necessarily sinister in themselves. Like, you don't want to be liable for bad advice. I don't want to be liable for making someone sick. But then you actually look at the the reality of it. You know, I know dozens and dozens of farmers that every year they go out in the paddock and they shoot a cow in the dirt and they pick it up on the rusty tractor tines and they slaughter it in the field with knives. They probably didn't wash since last year, and they've never been sick. You know, they, they spend the next twelve months eating this. But when you're having to do this in this industrialised abattoir, all of a sudden you've you've just got all these bleachers and everything. I don't know. I just think that there's we're we're just too worried about everything, and it's paralysing that liability mindset.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting. And the point about the runny egg yolks, or perhaps uh, advice for women to avoid soft cheeses um it seems like this type of advice is necessary when there is a disconnect from the producer of that food mm-hmm. when you have an when you don't know if there is listeria in you know in your food because okay. there's a disconnect then you need to bring in these broad brush policies to kind of protect everyone when you're
2: starting from a base of somebody who's already metabolically unhealthy like if you give a healthy person a questionable egg once in a while, they'll probably be fine. But if you take someone who's unhealthy because they're living on poor diets and and poor exercise, and then give them a bad egg, you know they're nailed. Yeah, they're in hospital.
0: And and that's the germ versus terrain theory, and and very much medicine's focused on on the germ theory rather than perhaps making people more robust. Yeah. But that all, all that to say, I mean, we're not. I'm not recommending that pregnant women go out and drink. Take some raw honey and with full of botulum toxin, or I, I saw, mean, I saw his eyes roll. Yeah, but yeah, um, but the point that I think we're making is that if you know your producer, you know where the foods come from. The likelihood that you're going to get something dodgy or something that is causing disease is going to be so much lower. It goes to nothing. And um, so, Sam, you, you, I want to get your your perspective on regulatory yeah. issues in the US. Please t- talk to us about that.
1: Well, I always like to preface this: is this is not a judgment. And we've all gotten here together and we all, you know, have our health issues that we battle with. We have our, our behavioral issues, which basically are addictions. Uh, food is an addiction. Now uh, food is a drug. They've made sure of that with all the, the commodities that they've injected into our consumption models. And so I start telling everybody, nobody's going to save you. And the only person's going to save you is you do an accountability mirror check. Okay. If you decide and accept that there's an issue with our food or your health or maybe your desires about the food, then, you know, quit validating the deceptions. The day that you put your foot down and you quit validating your deceptions and you accept that there's something amiss within our health, within our food, within the regulatory capture, then you're going to be able to make that change. It's it's one person and it's one handshake at a time to that producer. You eliminate everything. And the day you do that and you you basically provide your family with a half of beef in your freezer, your life changes. And people have a hard time understanding that. Because we've gotten caught up into these regulations, these certifications, these labeling. You know, if you have over, you know, 20 words on your damn label of your food, you shouldn't be eating it. Can your, can your grandmother make it? That's, that's from him. If your grandmother, can, you know, didn't feed it to you, you don't need to be consuming it. And everybody, it's not a black and white issue. We generalize so much. And, you know, with this tour that I'm doing, it's becoming a global tour. We're going to go to Thailand. They don't have organic in Thailand. They don't have grass fed beef on the labels in Thailand, you know, and the general public needs to understand that there's been a regulatory capture of the industries themselves so they can cover their butts, you know, and what they, they, we need to understand is that food is not science and the perception of food has been hijacked over the last century. You know, how many people out there really truly know that Procter and Gamble used to be the biggest candle maker in the world? Well, in the turn of the century of the 1900s, we had electricity. We quit selling candles in the United States because everybody started turning on the light switches. What did Procter and Gamble do with those candles? Well, they were made out of cottonseed. Okay. They turned it into Crisco. They turned it into vegetable. Who did they target? They targeted the heritage woman. They targeted grandmother in the kitchen and they started using this world-class marketing. So a lot of the world-class marketing that we've designed and engineered around food has been a deception. It's based on the wrong incentives. So you, the individual, what are your incentives? Do you want to live a happy life? Do you want to have peace of mind? Do you want your children to be healthy? You know, I saw the boys running around last night. Happiest, healthiest children. That's what we all want. So we have to basically change our consumer demand as adults. Our adult consumer demand are killing children across this world. And it's based on incentives that do not basically benefit our lives. They do not benefit our communities. So you, the individual, whenever you put your foot down and quit validating the deceptions and you take charge and you say something like Jacob said, I'm going to go feed my family in a different way. And once you do that, you develop these relationships. Well, how do you do it? Well, you go shake a rancher's hand, producer's hand, farmer's hand. If you can't do it physically, you're going to do it digitally. That's what we're doing with the Beef Initiative. We are a technology company. We're providing some world-class technology to people in the United States. ABI is going to do that. The same thing here in Australia. So it, it does start with the individual. Quit worrying about the regulatory capture. Go out there engineer your own suffering before the suffering gets engineered upon you and if you can if you can take that charge if you can take that empowerment stance then you'll decentralize your way your your mindset first and then your life when it comes to food food is basically a fuel that i think that the medical pharmaceutical agricultural complex has hijacked in a way that the general public doesn't understand. So, accept that there's something going on. Go out there and steward your own fuel systems, and that starts with pure animal protein. That's it. That's it. It's simple as that. And that's one one thing I did. It's like Texas Slim. We trademarked that. Well, we're going to turn that into a beef line in the United States. We have Texas Slims cuts without any certifications, without all this labeling, everything, I want to co-brand with every producer across this planet that will basically have the beef initiative as a playbook, as a protocol. And once we start doing that, that will have that peace of mind, that confidence, and it won't be based on regulatory capture, or it won't be based on deception of labeling or chemicals or anything else. It gets back to the source of the seed where we came from.
0: And I mean, the message is so well taken. And, and for people who I see in, in the clinic, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a simple message. Yeah. It's go go meet Jake Wolke, go to his farm tour on a Sunday morning, yeah. get yourself a code for his 24-hour self-server butchery, buy yourself some some beef that you know hasn't been injected with any kind of antibiotic or any other chemical that's been fully grass-fed and grass-finished and, you know, reap the rewards. And um, it's, it's so simple and, and elegant in, it, in its message.
1: One thing I want – and this is what I've learned over the last three years. People think it's a black and white issue. This is not. There's a lot of gray areas, and it's a rabbit hole, as Jacob said. If you can only do it once a week, have a steak dinner, have animal protein once a week with your family. Do it once. Sit around on this table. And just do it once a week and see where that leads. And if you really, you know, really want to go into it, go eat beef for a month and then go eat the old way for a month and see how you feel. It's results driven. You know, what are the results? And then look at your pocketbook, look at your health, look at your family, look at the laughter of your children, look at your relationship with your family, with your community, see what changes and then put more energy into what changes in the
2: positive. We we want to, everybody wants to look at studies. Yeah. They want to look at influences. They want to read the data. And the reality is, is only you can decide how you feel. And if you just go and eat the diet that you're advertised to that you should for a month, and then eat a low carb, low processed whole foods diet for a month, keep a journal. What do your poos look like? You know, like, how do you feel? How's your acne? Make your mind up for yourself. If it's not for you, it's not for you. I think people get way too hung up on the data and the studies. And I'm starting to label myself as a bit of a heretic with all this because it distracts people from the fact that you can actually close your eyes and you can actually feel how you feel and no one can take that away from you.
0: Yeah. And, and I say that as a, in, my, in my medical consult is that the subjective feeling of health of, of a patient is so important. And when you're feeling energized, if you're waking up in the in in the morning. You like a light switch. You have energy throughout the day. You're not napping. You, you're feeling happy. You're feeling joyful. I mean, your mitochondria are functioning well. Your energy, the the the, the, the your cells are, are performing at a high level. I mean, you're dialed. So um, we can outsource the information about what to eat to guidelines, nutritional guidelines, which, as Tim Texas Slim has said, have been influenced by companies and influence. In, in, in such a way that the incentives are not aligned with yours. Mm. Or you can take that back and listen to that internal wisdom and use whole food eating. I mean, carnivore if you want to, or just any type of mixed diet, it's fine. Just make sure you, your ingredients only have one one ingredient in it. Right. I mean, and I, and I really love the the fact that it isn't, as you said, black and white. And behavior change, especially in general practice, is, is, a, is a process of – guidance. Yeah. It's not a didactic process. It's not instructive. It's really offering people options and explaining them the options of, of likely outcome of taking different options. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's really great advice that, that people can definitely take away.
1: And one thing, and I, I found this out with myself as well, whenever I really started getting into food and I come from research analysis in my professional career. I started when I was 19, but what I found out being from big tech and working in telecommunications The individual really needs to look at their consumption model. What is their consumption model? Audio, video, food. They're all correlated. If you can separate your consumption model in a decentralized way where you're not relying on these centralized marketing media campaigns, that is a step that you need to go into if you're just now going into food intelligence. Your consumption model matters, what you're hearing, what you're seeing and what you're consuming. And I don't think people really understand that the correlation in the very, the the large impact that does have on our spirit, has on our soul, has on our desires. And so it's fun to change your consumption model. Hand me that book right there. Instead of, you know, some bullshit, you know, Netflix, go read this book. You know, this is based on genetics of cattle. This is a fascinating breed that Jacob has. You know, I come from Longhorn and Angus country. He comes from, you know, can you say that? Nguni. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to butcher it, but uh, one of these days. But uh, Nguni, th- this is a consumption model. Go learn about cattle. Go learn. It's a lifestyle. It's an international lifestyle that people are yearning for that they don't understand yet. Change your desire when it comes into entertainment. Make basically the Beef Initiative, Australia Beef Initiative, Wokey Farms. Make it the lifestyle of your family. You know, Jacob wants to basically educate. He wants to bring people to his, basically his land, his his farm. That's what he's doing tomorrow. We're going to have a summit. Make that your lifestyle. That's your consumption model. And once you do that, you find happy. It's not Disneyland's over with. Okay, we're gonna create a new Disneyland, and it's gonna be Disneyland. Disneyland, Disneyland.
0: (laughs) right? Uh, I I love it, and we're really talking holistic health now, yes. Because as Slim's just given you, he's given you a blueprint for um, holistic mental health, emotional health, and one in which where you are not outsourcing your attention to things that I mean you can't control. So, I mean, I, I, I love the the holistic aspect to it because this is what we. Often try to explain to patients, and we don't always have time to. But your well being is a factor more than just your diet, and yes. your psychological diet, as you say, in terms of your news sources or your information input, is has such a bearing on your stress level, your cortisol level, and and your enjoyment of life and subsequent your health. Mm-hmm. So, I mean that that's a very good point. So, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I'm mindful of time, gentlemen, and we're, we're both. Um, well, everyone's got, got something on. We've got a very busy couple days coming up with the the Beef Initiative Conference. So I'd just like to get some closing thoughts, um, Jake, from you first.
2: Well, if I can talk about the Inguni cattle for just a moment, and I know this is our third chat and it's the third time that they've been brought up, but they they are something that I'm passionate about. You know, pe- people are understanding that they are what they eat, ate. You know, so it's not just about eating beef or eggs. It's about having beef from an animal that was grass-fed on high-quality pastures. I'm going down the rabbit hole thinking further than that. And is that animal uh, fit for purpose? Like, does that animal have its own vigorous health? Because you can have a grass-fed and finished cow that's full of worms, you know, riddled with its own diseases in unhealthy pastures, but it still says grass-fed and finished on the label. And, you know, And then you look at other animals that we've, we've selectively bred for traits like high-intramuscular fat. I've got all these questions about whether that's actually something that we should be... Wanting or not, you know, all the data paneling, here's the heretic saying don't look at the data, but all the data paneling coming out says that all these super lean uh, wild harvest animals are some of the most nutrient dense. So you take, you take a wild deer or a wild elk and that's the creme de la creme of what you can have for your animal. And then we're line breeding and selectively breeding these animals on our farm to have more intramuscular fat marbling. So I'm not saying fat's bad. But I'm saying, I'm becoming very interested in are our animals fit for purpose? Do they represent um, unbridled vigor as to what these animals can express in their natural environments? And so, you know, that's one of the reasons that I'm really excited about this animal. It's not requiring inputs from me. It's not requiring pharmaceuticals or handouts. It's just requiring stewardship and management and they'll do the rest for us. So I think Nguni have a lot to offer. Closed comment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's the fun part. I mean, you know, we have so many different fascinating breeds of cattle across this world. Everybody has their New Guinea. They have their Angus. They have whatever breed it is. And that's that's, that's beef intelligence that we've lost as a society. We need individuals being the champions of these breeds to know what really the source of their genetics is. Why have they made it this far? Why are they the best option for this region of the world? And that that is something, that is a lifestyle once again. You know, within the Beef Initiative, here we are doing this global tour. You know, we're going to have these, I started off with six micro summit summit conferences in the United States. Now we're going to have many events here in Australia. I think we're up to nine. Jacob's basically kicking it off. We want to have these all across the globe. And we want everybody to follow us. We're going to create content. We're doing a podcast right here today. We're going to go out to the farm here in a minute. We're going to have the summit tomorrow. People need to really understand what's going on here. This is basically, I think people, especially with COVID, with what we just went through is that international marketing plan of prohibition against personal space of personal sovereignty. There are options out here right now that are right in front of you, but it takes the individual to pay attention We're going to lead the way and we're going to go out there. We're going to rebrand what is basically empowerment, what is nutrition, what is food intelligence, and what is beef intelligence. It's the international lifestyle. I keep saying it. I said it in the very beginning when I started this and I was kind of being a smart ass because I am. But anyways, it's kind of fun. I said, you know, this is an international lifestyle that most people don't understand, but they're going to because there will be a day that they will not have market access to this cow if they don't take action right now. And that's what people need to understand. We can all get in these circle jerks about sea oils and about, you know, what have they done in the past? But before we started this podcast, you said paint a vision. The vision is that every individual goes out there and they find that type of lifestyle that we're pro- proposing because it, it comes from the past. It comes from our ancestors it comes from our heritage it's a legacy that you can leave your children that's what Jacob's doing that's my why I want to leave a legacy to my family that that basically is a hundred year plan and if everybody can take that ownership there is a pathway there there is a gateway that we're opening up in the United States we basically started with three producers In the very beginning, we opened up three gates. Well, now we're over 140 producer ranchers across the United States. Let's go open up another million gates across this world. But it takes everybody that's watching this podcast to share, to talk about it, to be bold about it, and to basically step up and start basically stewarding a new generation of children across this planet that will basically be proud to know what we're talking about today.
0: Yeah. And um, when I think to healthy populations, I mean, in in medicine and and epidemiology, we look at like the Amish, we look at Mm -hmm. certain distinct cultural groups, and they have a cultural framework that in which permits good health. And they have a set of values, and they have a set of beliefs, and it's all tied together. And the, the health of their food and the health of their bodies becomes a consequence of that cultural environment. 100%. So what I'm hearing is that the Beef Initiative is giving people a cultural framework that they can import no matter where they live mm-hmm. in order to follow these, these precepts or these tenets and then health be, will, will flow because you're going to be eating nutrient-dense animal foods and animal fats. You're going to have a low insulin environment. You're going to be eating a low-carb or, or, or carbohydrate-restricted or carnival-type diet. The health is going to be an inevitable consequence of adopting the type of principles that you're suggesting. Yeah. So I, I love it, and I think that that's a really powerful thing. Um, gentlemen, anything? Any closing thoughts? Eat raw honey. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Mr. Tech.
1: Um Let's get on board. Uh, anybody that's listening to this podcast. Um, I've, I'm, I'm basically, uh, soliciting for Jacob to come with me to Nigeria, Nigeria, you know, there's, there's so much of a population in Africa that are part of the global beef industry that we can basically help out and they can teach us, you know, where does this, where does this breed of cattle come from? Comes from Africa. And so Let's make this a global initiative. We are going, we build out locally. We broadcast globally. Everybody, this is a call to action to everybody. This is not entertainment. This is is as far as, you know, this is not Netflix. This is not a marketing plan. This is a call to action to step up and, uh, you know, go to the beefinitiative.com. We're releasing a lot of new options for producers, ranchers. We are going to lead the way. Jacob is leading the way pay attention, focus, and uh, let's do this together. This is a collaboration. This is not a marketing plan. And if if we can look at this, this is an open source collaboration that everybody has a voice. How many people have reached out to me with testimonials about their health and how their, their health has changed just by hearing one of these podcasts? It happens every day. So this is happening holistically, naturally, and honestly with transparency and authenticity. So let's lead that
0: great. All right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And and you, you heard it all. So if you are interested in getting some grass-fed, grass-finished beef, filling the freezer, um, and you live in Australia, if you live in New South Wales, um, see Jake Wolke. And if you are international in the, in the States, then visit thebefinitiative.com. Um, and yeah, we're starting from the ground and enabling good metabolic health by having high like, quality animal foods. So... Looking forward to seeing you all soon and yeah, engaged. So, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Regenerative Health Podcast. I hope this episode helped you better understand some aspect of improving your lifestyle for optimal health. If you enjoyed this episode, then share it out with friends and family. Leaving a five-star review on Apple or Spotify podcasts also helps spread the message. Thank you and see you next time.